You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Likewise, women must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would do a great work in your people today, uh, even in what might seem like a nuts and bolts sermon on the structure of a church or something like that. Father, we pray that the gospel might come forth in power and that all of us might be transformed into greater, greater likeness of of the image of Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, there's a lot of us here. That's great. Uh, It was like 157 and there was like 10 people here. I was like, well... We'll see uh, how many people show up at five. I guess there might be people who show up at five. Uh, We just won't be here to know that they were here. Uh, Anyway, uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you. I'd love to meet you after if I haven't yet. I'm sure you'll be on your way out of here pretty quickly. Tonight's game is an interesting one. It's featuring Darth Vader from the Death Star of New England, otherwise known as Bill Belichick, against young Luke Skywalker, a young guy named Sean McVay. He's younger than I am. That's wild. Uh, He's the head coach of the Rams, but the force is strong with this one. Uh, He is like a genius. He is a savant. Uh, Of course, these teams are like loaded with lots and lots of amazing players. Like Bill Belichick wouldn't have gotten to nine, nine Super Bowls if it weren't for like Tom Brady and many other Hall of Famers that have riddled his teams. But tonight's game really is almost a game of two coaches. Which coach will outcoach the other one? Which one will outstrategize the other one? And all of sports, but certainly professional sports, is always about who is the best, isn't it? Who is the strongest? Who is the fastest? Who is the most accurate? Even who is the smartest? We kind of like this, don't we? As certainly as capitalists, capitalistic Americans, we like to see the strong trample the weak. We study so that we can make good grades in high school, so that, why? So that we can then get into good schools. Why? So that then we can get good jobs, or then better jobs. When we get jobs, we are always thinking about the next job, or the next raise, or the next promotion. We're always thinking about all of these things. Why? So that we can perhaps get more stuff, and we can perhaps have more power. How can we get into a place later on in life where more of the power is given to us and more of the profits of whatever business we are a part of are diverted to us. Why? So that I can more and more have more people serving me so that I can serve other people less. 
The way to get all of these things is to get more power, to get more people to serve me. If you were with us around last summer or so when we were going through John's gospel, we thought through some of these things. While, while many of us were teenagers or were in our 20s, uh, perhaps you yourself are a teenager or in your 20s right now and you are in the service industry, your culture tells us that this is something necessary for a time, but hopefully not after for very long, you will graduate from the service industry and therefore never have to serve people professionally again, but that you will have others serve you. But this is not the way of the kingdom of Christ. Jesus, if anyone else in the history of the planet could have demanded others to serve him, more than like Caesar Augustus or Genghis Khan or Charlemagne or Donald Trump, Anyone in the history of the planet, he could have demanded, not just the people of his own country, but of the entire world, to come and to serve him, to fan him and feed him grapes. He certainly would have deserved that. But the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give himself as a ransom for many. As we've seen over the past many weeks, Jesus came not only to serve with his life, through his authority, using his authority to serve, but to also set the tone for the way of life in his kingdom. That his kingdom would be filled with, would be populated with people who are willingly and gladly servants to all. The Greek word for servant is diakonos, or as we have transliterated it to an English word, is just deacon. This is what the word literally means, a servant. This is the second office of the church that we now see Paul commend and give qualifications for in 1 Timothy 3, after we saw him give similar qualifications for an overseer or elder or pastor last week in Paul's letter to Timothy. So like last week, we're going to ask and hopefully answer the exact same three questions, this time for deacons though, and instead of elders. What is a deacon? What are the qualifications for a deacon? And then why in the world should I care? Not me, I care. Why should you care? So first, what is a deacon? So many churches have the setup of having like a senior pastor and then an auxiliary board of deacons. Maybe you grew up in this kind of church. And this kind of leadership structure almost certainly has been influenced more by corporate America than by the Bible, where the pastor acts more as a CEO and then he has this auxiliary board of directors that can kind of... uh, give him suggestions, influence, perhaps even fire him. But as we've seen over the many, many of the past weeks, just as the pastor is absolutely not the CEO of the church, deacons are most certainly not a leadership board that sits away in a conference room and makes decisions about the church. What is a deacon? A deacon, as we have seen, is literally a servant. The word itself is all over the New Testament, and it may oftentimes just to describe just describe what a person does or is. Like this person is a particularly servant-hearted person. He or she might be described as a deacon. But there are only a couple of places in the New Testament where we are sure that Paul and others are actually talking about a specific office. Something that someone must have qualifications for before he or she is uh, publicly commended and set apart as a deacon of the church. And we see this New Testament office begin to take its first shape in Acts 6. Here's the scene. Jesus has very recently ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has recently descended from heaven. 
The Spirit has made God's dwelling place once again on earth, this time not as the temple of the building of the temple, but making his dwelling place in the temple of his people. And then many, many people in these first couple of chapters of Acts are becoming Christians. Many of these people who are becoming Christians were the same folks who perhaps just a month or so prior were demanding that Jesus be crucified in Jerusalem. But they either have, one, seen Jesus alive and walking around and saw him and came to believe him as the Messiah, or they so believed the testimony of those who had seen him that they were cut to their core and said, yes, this man not only was a decent rabbi who had some interesting things to say or a Jewish revolutionary, but he was God's Messiah. So 3,000 folks on one day become Christian. 5,000 on another day become Christians. And there's this growing number of people who desire to understand the scriptures, to understand what it means that the Messiah had to die. They were asking questions perhaps, what does this mean for our life together now? Do we still need to go to the temple? Do we still need to keep the Sabbath? Do we still need to keep dietary laws? How should we now live in light of the death and the resurrection of Jesus? On top of that, there are many, many folks who are becoming Christians who are very poor. The first church is doing really well in sharing all things in common. They are providing for one another really well. But in Acts 6, we find a new wrinkle to this community. There are apparently some Jews still in town after Passover, after Pentecost, who are pretty thoroughly Greek. They may or may not speak Hebrew. They may not be as hardcore Jewish as the locals. They are certainly not local. And there are many of this number who are widows, Greek widows. They have no husband. They have perhaps no other family who might provide for them, who might care for them. They are being neglected and forgotten. They are going hungry. This is unconscionable for the, for the apostles. So they call together the entire church and they say to the church in Acts 6, they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It wasn't that serving tables was somehow beneath the apostles. They had put in their time with like three years of serving Jesus and learning from him, and now serving tables was beneath them. They existed now to have others serve them. This is not what they are saying. But that the way that God had given them to serve the church was through the bread of his word. The people needed to ongoingly have questions answered from them, like how should we then live? And yet, understanding that the people's physical needs must not be neglected, especially within the church, they ask for seven guys to be appointed to lead out in this job. Now, the word deacon admittedly does not appear in Acts 6. We don't, say, we don't see the apostles say, appoint for you uh, seven deacons, which we now set aside as an official office of the church or something like that. This is 25 years or so before Paul would write 1 Timothy 3. So they didn't necessarily have a list of all of these qualifications that Paul has given to us in 1 Timothy 3 that they're like checking off all of the boxes before they nominate one of these seven guys. But it is clear that the apostles ask for these men to be set apart with those who have a good reputation. 
So even though they were not actually deacons, apparently this office would grow in the years to follow, even solidify as a known expectation amongst the churches that are popping up all over the Mediterranean world. Nevertheless, it's not a leap for us to consider these seven to be some sort of like a proto-deacon. And their purpose to serve and to meet the physical needs of the church continued and then continues on for us as well. This job allows the pastors... And again, the pastors are not necessarily a one-to-one counterpart of these early apostles. But it allows the pastors to devote themselves to their first priority of prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, one quick digression about the pastor-elders' priority towards prayer and the ministry of the word that I didn't get to last week. The four of us, your four pastors, we get together every Tuesday morning from 6 a.m. to about 8-ish Sometimes we go longer, and the other guys don't have to immediately get into their offices. The first hour of that meeting is purely devoted to updates from you, about you, who in our church is in a special need of comfort, of connection, of care, even of correction. And then we read the text for the coming Sunday, and we talk about it a bit, and then we pray for all of you by name, in light of this coming Sunday's text. We don't think it's wise or right to perhaps just think of ourselves as like a a business meeting where we are just here to like go through an agenda, knock, knock through all of these items without actually devoting ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, especially for you all. Nevertheless, one, I think necessary and constructive course correction for us over the past many months as we've thought about elders and deacons and all of these things is that we should lead the church certainly as its pastors but perhaps not as so cloistered away so separate away from all of you I feel like we've always been transparent with everything that we've decided about and leading you in but moving forward we're going to be more often and regularly inviting you all into these meetings to join us perhaps after this first hour join us at seven or so Perhaps more and more ladies regularly joining us in this second hour to perhaps uh, give their perspective on things that we might be neglecting or missing. More folks, men and women, helping us to construct and finalize our annual budget. These kinds of things. We are not just a board of directors of this church, but we are its pastors. We are the shepherds, the fathers of this church. And we need to, I think, and we're looking forward to going forward, considering this more and more a family that we're hearing from its members more often. Another aside from all of these things is this is why we have appointed our GC leaders, our gospel community, our small group leaders as deacons. All of our GC leaders are ongoingly and regularly doing an excellent job of freeing the pastors up for prayer and the ministry of the word. They are not only on the front lines of knowing what the physical needs of our church are, but they are also understanding and meeting with you in your spiritual needs as well. Counseling with you, discipling discipling you, all of these things, helping you understand the Bible. All of these things in such a way that the four of us would not nearly have the bandwidth for to commit ourselves in, in the course of the regular week to week. So, this is why we consider these GC leaders to be deacons, along with the leaders of other ministries and other teams within our church uh, that need administration or leadership because 
They are freeing the pastors up for prayer and the ministry of the word. More on that in a second. But what is a deacon? A deacon is a servant who frees the pastors toward their first priority of prayer and the ministry of the word. And just as the seven proto-deacons had specific tasks, uh, a task to feed these Greek widows, our deacons are tied to a specific task as well. So a person becomes a deacon when we have a qualified person, someone who has met the qualifications that we'll see in just a second in this chapter, as well as when we have what we consider to be a deacon-qualified task, a task that needs leadership administration. So at Christ Church, there's no such thing as a deacon who doesn't have a job. If the job or the ministry that that particular deacon is leading and has been overseeing now somehow becomes no longer necessary to the life of our church, not necessarily because this person has become morally disqualified or something, but this person will cease to be a deacon because we no longer think that that job needs to be overseen and served in that kind of way. They don't then just float around in some like amorphous deacony blob thing. They are a deacon with a job. And they certainly don't then continue on with like an emeritus status of deacon or something. So just as the seven proto-deacons were not only administrating a feeding program, they were actually serving the tables themselves, a helpful picture for us might be that of a server at a restaurant. What does a server do? Perhaps you've been a server. You've all been to a restaurant at least once in your life. You've observed servers. What do they do? What is their job? Well, their job is to take ownership of the well-being, of the needs, of the experience of those within the restaurant. They are constantly aware of the needs of the people inside. They're not overbearing them or micromanaging them, right? You've always, you've surely all had a server who is a little bit too quick to say, everything tasting all right? Yes, dude, just let me eat it and I will tell you. Uh, but they are keeping an eye on that tea glass, to know when it needs a refill. They're cleaning up a mess here or wiping a table there of helping out other servers when they have a table and you have to all go as a team and sing happy, happy birthday, it's your special day. Did you know, did you know uh, that in 2016, the happy birthday, the song, became public domain and now uh, restaurants don't have to pay royalties on that song anymore. But that's why no restaurant ever sings the real happy birthday. Now you know. Anyway, uh, this is a deacon. He or she, as we'll see in just a minute, has a job to meet and to serve the physical needs of the church. Always scanning, always watching, always meeting a need when there is one. So if that's what a deacon is, what are the qualifications for a deacon? Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The qualifications for deacons are very, very similar to the qualifications that we saw last week for an elder. If we summed up most of what the character qualifications were for a pastor overseer last week as just being exemplary Christians, they are an example of what it means to be a Christian. The same is true for our deacons. How should you pray? How should you as a Christian act, react, respond? How should you walk as a Christian? 
Well, just watch our deacons. Just watch them. They're exemplary. They're examples for you. Follow Patrick or Rabo or Kyle or Quinn or Michael as they follow Christ. Follow Karen or Crystal or Taylor or Adam. Just watch them and follow as they follow Christ. They aren't perfect Christians. Certainly not. But they are exemplary Christians. They are models for you to pattern your own lives after. And many of the qualifications in this list for deacons are the same as what we saw last week. That of dignity, of not being a drunk, of being honest, of being sober-minded, of being faithful to their families, of managing their children and their households well. This is in many ways just a repeat sermon of last week. But there are a couple of notable differences. There's no qualification for able to teach, like we saw last week for pastors, that there, there isn't that qualification this week for deacons. One of the most important roles of a pastor is that of a shepherd. As an under-shepherd leading the flock into knowing and understanding the words of the chief shepherd and protecting the flock from outside words that might divide the flock or lead the flock away from the chief shepherd. So while deacons don't necessarily need to be able to teach to lead and protect the flock in the knowledge of the scriptures and of God, a deacon, verse 9, must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, many of you, many of you know that like nearly every time I go to a restaurant, if we've ever been to a restaurant before together, uh, I let the server order for me. Uh, I say like, hey, I'll have whatever you would have right now. Like not necessarily your favorite thing on the menu, but whatever you would go order for yourself right now. And oftentimes like the server like gets really, really nervous. Like the amount of pressure that just got put on them is extraordinarily high, but it's great. I had a friend who did this in Austin uh, and I've been doing it for like seven or eight years now. It's only failed me once when a tofu salad somehow made its way onto my table. Uh, but this week I was reading uh, this book called uh, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons by a brother named Thabiti Anyabwile. And uh, after reading, rereading this book this week, I had forgotten that there's totally, he, he's got a little a chapter where he introduces that when he goes to a restaurant, he asks the server to just order for him. And the reason he did this is because of this verse, verse 9. He explained that uh, when I go to a restaurant, I trust the server to know the menu better than I do. They've been around. They know that Perhaps I really like a cheeseburger at some other restaurant, but at this restaurant, the cheeseburgers aren't particularly that great. What you really want is this sandwich instead, right? I am completely trusting my life. I'm giving my life away, my meal. I'm putting it in their hands because they have experience and because they have discretion. That is, the server holds to the mystery of the menu with a clear conscience. I've often heard folks use the phrase, the mystery of the faith, uh, as a way to like mitigate against having to make strong conclusions or make a doctrinal decision on something. Because you know, it's just the mystery of the faith and we can't really know anything. But here's the thing about the way that Paul so often uses that word mystery, in almost every one of his letters he says it, he means that something that was previously hidden or unknown about God and about the gospel is now on this side of the cross fully made known 
So, like, how can God be, like, simultaneously just against sin and yet merciful with our sin? Well, that mystery is now fully made known in the cross of Christ. Or how could the, like, the mystery of God that was previously hidden on how God will bless the entire world when previously he's just covenanted himself to Israel, how will that mystery be made known? Well, now on this side of the cross of Christ, that mystery is fully made known through Christ. So deacons are folks who understand the deep things of God, the mystery of the faith, and understand it. They can speak to doctrinal issues, not authoritatively, not protectively or in a leaderly way of the entire flock, but with a clear conscience. They know the menu really well. They've been around it for a long time. Through experience, they can speak with discernment and with confidence. And how do we know that they have experience? Come to think of it, like, maybe I should, in writing this sermon this week, I was thinking, maybe I should, before I ask a server to uh, go ahead and order for me, I ask how long they've been working there. If it's like their first day, maybe I know the menu here better than you do. Well, this is what Paul's getting after too. In verse 10, he says, and let them be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Similar to elders, we don't affirm and set up deacons as exemplary models for the church unless we know that they are exemplary. They aren't new plants. They aren't new little seedlings that have just started to show some life of growth. They have shown proven maturity. Now, one qualification of a pastor overseer from the past several weeks is that a pastor must be a male. We arrived at that conclusion, not only from elsewhere across the Bible, but from the paragraph above what we saw last week in chapter 3 at the end of chapter 2. If a qualification for elders is that the elder must be able to teach, to lead the congregation, to lead the church in authoritative doctrinal teaching, but women are precluded from that function in chapter 2, not to mention our two-week foray into God's design for leadership, the nuclear family, and of the family of God, uh, we saw that elders must be men. This, however, can't be said about deacons. Deacons are the servants of the church. They are not the fathers of the church. Perhaps your ears perked up when you heard Isabel in verse 11 Read what she did. I asked her to do this. She didn't go rogue. Uh, I almost always want to instill in you a great and growing confidence in your English translation of the Bible, whichever translation that might be. Many very smart and scholars have spent a lot, a lot of time to deliver us, deliver to us in English the most faithful translation of what we had written 2,000 years ago. But I'm convinced that the translation of verse 11 just isn't right. Uh, The ESV, which we preach out of here, reads, their wives likewise must be dignified. But you'll also notice the footnote. If you see that in your ESV or likely any other translation that you have, likely has a footnote there. And at the bottom of that page, it likely says, or wives likewise, or women likewise. So we didn't just willy-nilly change a word because we didn't like it or that it was uh, like not very culturally sensitive or something. That would be dangerously reckless. But here's the thing. In the original uh, Greek here, we don't do this very often, talk about original Greek, but there's no possessive pronoun in that verse 11. There is no their, T-H-E-I-R, no their wives. 
So it's actually more likely that what Paul is saying is likewise wives or likewise women. It would also be very odd for Paul to make additional requirements of the wife of a deacon where he didn't make that requirement of the wife of an elder. So what I think Paul is saying here is since there isn't a a feminine version of the word diakonos available to Paul, Paul is saying likewise for the women deacons or likewise for deaconesses. For many of you, uh, that isn't troubling at all that we would have women deacons at our church. For many, for many others of you who are perhaps coming from a more conservative tradition, uh, that might be completely new. But I want to assure you uh, that we aren't just going like completely rogue here. We've, we're like the first church, like complementarian church that's ever done this or something. Uh, many other well-known conservative complementarians also affirm women deacons, many of whom you might have heard of, like Tim Keller or Matt Chandler or Mark Dever, even more famously and reputably more conservative complementarians like John MacArthur or John Piper. So we are convinced that if this is something that not only Paul is allowing for, it's okay if you have women deacons, but is actually commending, perhaps even likely with Phoebe in Romans 16, who is likely a deacon within the Roman church, then we should not only be okay with having women deacons, we should actually be pursuing it. We, should, we would be shortchanging the life of our church and the complementary roles that God has given it in both male and female in the exemplary service of our church. Throughout the past couple of years, many of you have asked why we just affirm the male GC leaders of our GCs as deacons and not male and female, not husband and wife. Certainly, you all know uh, that these GC leaders' wives are putting in just as much, maybe more, uh, of relational time and investment in all of us. This is a good question. And when we began... Uh, thinking through whether we were going to affirm GC leaders as deacons, we almost just pulled the trigger on it. We almost just said, yep, we're going to make these co-deacons, like co-male-female GC leaders. Then we thought that with now, we're about to start our 10th GC, we would then just have, we would have 20 deacons with just our GCs. And then we would have four other deacons that aren't GC leaders with many more to follow them. So we want to affirm, honor, and point to those who are actually deaconing. But we began to think if like one out of every six people in our church is a deacon, uh, then it kind of loses its practical honoring and setting apartness. Maybe, maybe not. Also, while our wives certainly take on a major brunt of leading the women within our GC, and we don't ever want to minimize that. We get all of the GC leaders and our wives together quarterly to meet and pray and talk about things. Uh, we do think the onus of the leadership and the, the buck stopsness uh, comes with the man, as we've thought about for the past month. This is certainly something that we're more than willing to revisit in the future. There, we're not like convictionally persuaded that a GC leader wife shouldn't be a deacon or something. Primarily, we're not convictionally persuaded of that because of verse 13, that for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When a church affirms a particular member of that church to be a deacon, to the office of deacon, together we, the church, are affirming that person and we are saying to that person, we see overwhelming evidence of the spirit of God in your life. Keep leading us as an example as you follow Christ. Keep walking 
towards him in great confidence that your church affirms you and would ask you to lead us in this way. So, hopefully after last week, you can see where I'm going with the answer to our last question, but if that's what a deacon is, a deacon is a servant, and if all of these exemplary characteristics are the qualifications of a deacon, now, why should I care? Why should any of us care about any of this? Admittedly, in many ways, this sermon has been like a nuts and bolts sermon, right? It's like the structure of our particular church, and now I'm glad that all of you understand a bit more of the leadership structure of our church and these offices or something, but maybe I'm a high school kid, or maybe I'm in, t- I'm in college right now, and or maybe I, like, I've I've been attending church services, maybe attending this church for a little while. I've never really even thought about membership. Certainly I've never thought about becoming a deacon. So why in the world should I care? Well, first of all, just like last week, why haven't you thought about these things? Why not? Why haven't you been putting yourself on a trajectory of Christian wisdom, of Christian character, of Christian maturity that your church would want to affirm? If you're a man or a woman, if you're a young man or a young woman, are you becoming the kind of person that one day, maybe a year from now, maybe three decades from now, your church might want to affirm and say, yes, brother, sister, we have observed these things in you. We affirm these things in you. Would you lead us as you serve us? Are you content to be a casual bystander? Are you content to be an observer of this church? to be a patron of this church, a restaurant goer rather than a server? If the the answer to that is yes, well, keep coming. Keep keep patronizing this church. Not in a looking down kind of way, but keep being a patron. That's great. Hopefully after a year or two of being around here, hopefully after a year or two or three, I'm hopeful that Jesus will show himself to be so captivatingly life-transforming that the gravitational mass of your life might be that of Christ and his church and that all of the rest of the priorities in your life that seem to be the gravitational mass in your life are then just the things that ultimately will then begin to revolve around Christ and his church. That you will actually not just pursue membership, that you will not just pursue serving the church, but that you will think of yourself as a leader of the church, an exemplary member of our church. Perhaps you've subconsciously, for some time of your life, or perhaps the whole of your life, thought that, you know, the really serious Christians, those who are you know, read the Bible a whole lot and are super serious, uh, they will become pastors. They will become deacons. They might become missionaries. I don't really desire to be a pastor or a deacon or a missionary, so I don't really have to be all that serious about it. Well, I can understand why you might have thought that, but it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Jesus doesn't want to elevate. Jesus doesn't want to affirm those who are, like, just the super awesome people. The metrics of power, the metrics of leadership within Christ's church are not Christ's church, not just this church, but in the church are not the same metrics of power of the world. Jesus doesn't want to just affirm the fastest or the strongest or the smartest or the most eloquent or the most beautiful, but rather those 
who in humility will consider the needs of others to be more significant than their own. That's the kind of person that Jesus wants to affirm. The kind of person who will seek to serve others rather than to be served by them. Who rather than being a half full glass that needs and uses others to fill them, rather they have been so filled by Christ, they are looking to fill others. This is the kind of community that we want to be of seeing a need and meeting it, and not just the physical ones. Perhaps, yes, sacrificing something financially that you might want because you know of another financial need within our church, but also, perhaps you've just learned of a marriage problem that's going on in our church. Perhaps you've understood some parenting difficulties. You've, you've, known, you've, you've heard of some questions of the Bible that one of your, uh, the members of your GC might know about. And instead of thinking, oh, man, I hope Clinton Nathan can talk to that person. Or, ooh, you know what you should do? You should probably go talk to the GC leader. Instead of that, thinking, hey, I heard that this is difficult in your life right now. When can we meet? How can I be praying for you right now? Can we, can we read a book together? Let's, let's meet and pray and talk about these things together. Of seeing a need, meeting it. Of serving one another. Instead of thinking, ooh, if I get into that that's going to require a whole lot of time and energy that I am not willing to invest in. I hope the GC leader or the pastors will do that for us. Dying to our own desires, serving each other, serving the world around them. We, this is the community that we want to be. Who, a community who is just content to be the servers of the restaurant for the rest of our lives not serving in it for a year or two where we have made enough money or gotten the degrees that then allow us to get out of this place and be served by others, but to continue to happily and joyfully serve one another for the rest of our lives. You'll never be what you aren't becoming. This week, let's all look for some small ways in which we are expecting others to serve us which we are expecting others to do something for us and instead to do that for them. Whether that's doing some laundry for a spouse or for your roommate. Can you imagine? That might be kind of weird. But man, can you imagine like you 20-year-old guys, if you did the laundry for your roommate? Man, making dinner, sending encouraging notes or texts or emails to one another throughout the week. That's a, that's a really, really important way to serve one another. Perhaps most importantly, to intentionally and then actually carving out time throughout your week to pray for one another, to consider the needs of others to be more significant than the time that you might be able to spend on the internet. If that's the case, if that's about the most important way that we can serve and care for one another, let's do that now. Oh God, we pray. We pray that if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort in love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, we pray that you would make us of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, help us, God, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count one another to be more significant than ourselves. Let us each of us look not to his or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
We pray that we would have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of a, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be selfishly held onto, but that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Help us to follow him. Help us, help his life and his, his death to continue to transform us individually and together as a church. Father, we're so thankful for the exemplary models of godliness and of humble service that you have given to our church and our deacons. Thank you for Karen and for Adam and for Patrick and for Taylor and for Raybo and for Kyle and Crystal, for Quinn, Michael. Encourage them today. Encourage us as we follow them as they follow Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name, who through humility and service has been exalted above every name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.